0: This is Anthony and Areno, and you're listening to In the Arena. Step into the arena! I recorded this interview last year but somehow crashed the file and was unable to recover it but I've since found a software program that allows me to recover files and you're gonna love this I've invited Niraj Dwar the author of Tilt shifting your strategy from products to customers here to talk about the difference between being transactional and being consultative and how you really create a higher level of value for your clients This is an old interview I did at the end of last year, but the book is as relevant today as it was then and even more so. Do give this a careful listen and pick up the book. You're going to love it. You're going to gain a lot from it as a salesperson, as a business person, and as a leader. Here we go in the arena with Niraj Dawar. Niraj, uh, thank you for being here.
1: It's a pleasure, Anthony.
0: I'm such a fan of your work, I've been all over strategytilt.com, we'll point people there right now. And your book Tilt is, uh, I I said this to you over Twitter, I think the idea of shifting from uh, products to customers is so important and the framework and the insights that you developed are critical, so I wanted to invite you on to share some of your ideas because I do think it's a remedy for a lot of what ails sales organizations, so thanks for being here.
1: It's a pleasure to be here and I do think uh a lot of the ideas are relevant to uh, sales organizations in particular uh, organizations that uh, take products for granted you know products that are coming to them and then they have to face the market they have to face customers they have to create value for customers around those products and I think uh there's there's a lot that can be done in the downstream to add that value
0: let's let's start there so people that read my stuff know I have this level for value creation, which goes product, experience, ROI, and then strategic level or enterprise level or super relationship uh, selling, which is about bigger outcomes. But let's start um, for people who haven't read the book. Let's start with the difference between upstream and downstream. If you could just give us a little tutorial to bring people up to speed yeah. there.
1: So, you know, for 250 years, business has been run with the imperatives of the upstream. The upstream is the factory, it's the sourcing, it's the supply chains leading up to the factory, it's, uh, it's the production, it's the products, it's product features, and I even include R&D and innovation in upstream activities. The downstream activities that I, I label downstream are, call, are activities in which you interface with the customer. Uh, where, these are activities related to customer acquisition, customer satisfaction, customer retention. And these activities are uh, customer-facing activities. They are about the customer. They're about customer value. They're about customer usage of the product, but also about how the customer, uh, you know, it's about put, pulling back a little bit from the transaction with the customer and looking at a much broader set of uh activities that the customer engages in in order to extract value from the products that we sell them. For example, just finding us. Finding us is an activity for the customer. Uh, f- or comparing us with competitors is an activity for the customer. Uh, you, you know, Using our product, storing our product, uh, unpacking our product, uh, financing our product, uh, you, you know, uh, disposing of our product. All of these are activities that you start to realize uh, the customer engages in, in order to extract value from the products that we sell them. But we, tra- we tend to ignore these activities. Why? Because we focus on the transaction. And why do we focus on the transaction? Because that's where the money changes hands. And we need to step back and look at a much broader set of activities that the customer engages in, in order to ask ourselves, how can we create value in those activities too?
0: My, my thesis on this is we've gotten to transactional for a whole bunch of reasons. One, it's easier to cut costs than it is to grow revenue. Um, it, it's much yeah. tougher to win new clients and create revenue. Yeah. You've got examples like Walmart and people look at the success of a transactional model. You've got yeah. commoditization and globalization working together. So there are great products all over the world. Yeah. I tell sales organizations, we were all happy to outsource labor to China and India. And yeah. then we started outsourcing the thinking to China and India and it turns mm-hmm. out a lot of entrepreneurs all over the world with great products and great ideas and so whatever you do you're now competing globally or your customers yeah. are and yeah. it's easier to behave transactionally because that is where the money changes hands but it's not where the values created anymore it's shifted yeah. from there and yeah. I, I think that that's what we're still struggling with and you talk about uh, this idea of upstream and downstream but we're product-focused and we're services-focused yes. because we sell that product and we're excited about yeah. it. And it yeah. has features and benefits, but it's not really where the value is created. Can you share uh, more about that?
1: Yeah, I, I think you know a lot of the value nowadays is created by asking the questions, what costs does the customer incur and what risks does the customer incur in extracting value from what we sell them? And, you know, once you, start to, once you start to inventory the costs that we impose on our customers or the customers incur in order to take, extract value from the products we sell them or the risks that they incur, you start to recognize that there's huge amounts of uh, uh, costs and risks that the customer bears, which we don't account for. Uh, we account for the price that the customer pays, but all of these hidden costs and risks add to the customer's pain in extracting value from the products we sell them or the services that we sell them. So once you start to look at all of these costs and risks, you realize there are opportunities for creating value there, for increasing the take, for increasing the revenue. And let me give you a simple example. You talked about Walmart. Uh, Walmart, through all of its cost cutting and its efficiency and its supply chain, and its, uh, it manages to cut costs by two to five percent relative to competitors and that's a huge deal when your margins are two to five percent so you've doubled your margins which is not a a bad thing to do in a a competitive business like that but then take another example take coca-cola and you can buy a can of coca-cola at walmart for 25 cents a can as part of a six pack or part of a 24 pack and the next day you can be in a park on a hot sweltering day and you you find a vending machine and you're willingly going to drop $2 into the vending machine to get your can of coke the difference is a 700% price premium the 700% price premium is due to the fact that the coke is the, the can of cola is delivered at the point of thirst chilled single served so that you don't have to think about you know unstocking breaking the bulk carrying it with you keeping it chilled all of that in other words, you've reduced the customer's costs and risks of accessing the benefits that you've sold them, and that that is worth, to the customer, 700% price premium. That's, that 700% price premium is captured, so it's worth at least 700% to the customer. Compare that with the 2 to 5% that you've saved in the Walmart's logistical efficiencies, And you realize that the cost-cutting approach will only get you so far. It's a mentality of creating value, of understanding the customer's costs and risks, and of systematically reducing those costs and risks where the opportunities reside for really increasing revenue.
0: This is uh, Niraj. We just met each other. I've emailed him, but I love him already, so you're listening to this (laughs) and now you know why. Because the object is to create more value so you can capture more value. And the more value you create, the more there's the opportunity to capture and you look at the customer and you say, what are the challenges they have? And then how do I help them eliminate those challenges or get rid of the risks? And by doing that, we, we both create a bigger pie and we're both able to capture more of the pie. And that's that's the shift downstream, right?
1: That's the shift downstream. There's There's a tremendous amount of unmined value in the downstream. Why? Because we haven't asked the questions about what costs the customers incur and what risks the customers incur.
0: You've got I mean, three fundamental questions that you ask in the book. Do you mind sharing those?
1: There's there's lots of questions but you know I think one of the starting points is we have to ask ourselves why do our customers buy from us rather than from our competitors? Once we start to think about why our customers buy from us instead of from our competitors we will come up with reasons that are about uh, reliability, trust uh ease of doing business transparency the ability to you know seamlessly transact those are all related to e- downstream activities they're all related to interface customer interface activities instead of the product you know v- very rarely do customers come up to you and say because you have the better product and even less often have I heard that that be, they're buying because you have a better price. They're buying for all of these other reasons, and the bulk of transactions are occurring because of all of these other reasons. Now think about it. You can't manufacture and bottle trust and ease of doing business in a factory. It has to be done downstream, and you have to find ways of doing it that are scalable, that are that are that that, that are profitable, that are innovative. And yet we spend so little time systematically thinking about our downstream activities. We've got, you know, in the upstream, we've got R&D budgets, we've got R&D managers, we've got R&D processes, we've got stage gate models, we've got production schedules, we've got quality control. We've got all sorts of systems and processes in the upstream. In the downstream, we are much less systematic about how we create value at a company-wide level or even a client level and that's what this book is about
0: and I'm I'm doing this as a salesperson and as a practitioner Um, I mean I think about this the point of contact with that customer and you've got some examples in the book and maybe we can talk about the people who blasted rock and they had demolition and they sold explosives because it's it's a commodity and when you look at it you go, that's a commodity but the salesperson has a chance to create value for that customer by rethinking their business and thinking about where's the real value is the value in the explosive Or is it in the outcome that they get from the explosive and I'm setting you up here to maybe share this example because it shows no matter what you think about your product and this is absolutely 100% a commodity, a total uh, upstream kind of play that you have an example of how they turned it into a downstream play by thinking about what's the customer's risk? What do I do in their business with insight and knowledge that I have that I can share with them and apply to their problem?
1: Exactly right. So this quarry, uh, you know, th- th- this explosives company sells explosives to quarries that blast rock, and the rock is used in the landscaping industry, uh, so they sell it on. Uh, because they sell it on, the uh, the rock has to be of a certain size. If it's too big, they have to break it by hand, which is very labor-intensive and expensive. If it's If the rock is too small, they have to discard it because the landscaping industry has no use for it. So the rock has to be within a certain set of tolerances. And if you place the blast right, if you do the blast right, uh, you can get a large percentage of the rock within those tolerances. But it took a long time for the explosive sellers to recognize and realize that there was value to be created by, by educating the quarries on where to put the blasts, and you know where to where to uh, what sort of weather conditions you needed, what type of rock conditions you needed, what sort of charges you needed, what sort of placement you needed for the so there's a large number of parameters that go into placing the explosives so you get just the right type of rock coming out of the blast. But most explosive sellers were going to the quarries and saying, "Look, we've got uh, you know." 250 kilos of explosives here and uh, here's going to be the price and we're going to bid on the on the on the tender that you have and we've got uh, we're going we're going to undercut our competitors by $20 and and that's how we'll win the contract. But, I can
0: see this going on where people are looking at a spec sheet. You know, here's the yeah. spec for the explosive and and you know that's what we're competing on.
1: And the explosive spec sheet, you know, what the the explosives that you sell is no different than the explosives that your competitors are selling. It's identical. So what's the difference going to be? The difference is going to be the price. The customer is going to look at the twenty dollar difference and buy the cheaper explosive because one explosive, and one stick of dynamite, is exactly like another stick of dynamite. And so, ICI stepped back from this game, and they realized, you know, this is a downward spiral where everybody's going to start to compete on price. And so they step step back and they start to collect data. They start to collect data on hundreds of parameters that go into each blast. And over three years, they've managed to build a model which now tells them the 20 parameters that really matter, that matter in an outcome. The outcome being you want 80 to 90% of your rock coming out of the blast to be immediately sellable to the landscaping industry. So it needs to be within the tolerances. And so that's what they did. Once they understood those parameters, they had a choice they could go to the customers and say look we can teach you how to do the blast but the customers you know are already they're already spending time and they've, they've got costs in terms of using these explosives and it's you know they're reluctant to invest more in a product that you want to sell them to say you know you're telling them look you now need to spend more time learning how to use my product instead what they said was we won't sell you the explosives. We'll sell you the outcome. We we will guarantee the contract that we offer you will guarantee an eighty or ninety percent, uh, you know, favorable outcome. The rocks will all be within that within the tolerances that you require. That changed the game because now the company had data. They had collected the data over three years. Their models were fairly accurate. They could guarantee a certain outcome, and the competitors couldn't. And when the customer looks at this and says, OK, so this, this supplier is guaranteeing a certain outcome, the outcome that I want, the outcome that I desire, where my competitors, well, you know, their, their competitors are still offering dynamite by the, you know, by, by the pound. So who, who am I going to buy from? And so I'll buy from the people who are guaranteeing a certain outcome.
0: And the guarantee is two things. One, it is the sale of the outcome. And it's an elimination of risk. I mean, it's it saying, is. Look, I can get you to eighty to ninety percent, and if we're off, you know, then we'll 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 even up at the end. Yeah. Now, as a buyer, I'm 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 <coughs> completely confident because I've got no yeah. risk in the game anymore.
1: That's exactly right. So, what what you've done is you you've recognized that the customer is not just buying the explosive; the customer is buying a redu- reduction of risk and is willing to pay for a reduction of risk. They're not willing to pay any more for the explosive because your explosive is no different from that of your competitors. This is going but to they... hurt
0: so many salespeople when you say your product is not better than your competitors, but in, in, in the view of the customer, mostly in that's view, true, right?
1: In, in the view of the customer, the you know, so see, in, in a selling process, when you start to analyze selling processes and hundreds of selling processes the way I have you re- you realize that it's always in the interest of the buyer to narrow the spec sheet so that all sellers look very similar and it's always in the interest of the seller to expand the the sort of the specifications so that on at least some of the specifications you are different from your competitors so you know this this is a game that you, is 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 standard in the oh, selling I, process I, I know
0: the game very
1: well <laughs> <laughs> right so, so the, you know, the buyers are always looking to commoditize, the sellers are always looking to differentiate, and that's, that's the game you're playing. But what I'm saying is, in order to differentiate in a way that competitors can't copy or can't immediately emulate, you have to ask the questions, what costs does the customer incur, what risks does the customer incur, and how can I identify those and systematically reduce those in ways that are better than my competitors are doing?
0: And this is the tilt.
1: This is the tilt, the tilt from the upstream to the downstream.
0: Talk more about the factors that make up the downstream, because I don't know that this and unless and I'm going to recommend people go buy the book and read the book. But um, you get the line there between uh, upstream and downstream upstream. We've got factories, we've got R&D, we've got production, we've got product downstream. We've got customer retention, customer service, customer acquisition the application of insight and, and the knowledge that we have to customer problems. What are the factors that make somebody successful in the downstream?
1: So in the downstream, it, you know the understanding of the customer, of course, is paramount. You have to understand the cost, customer's costs and risks, but there's two things that you can do to reduce those costs and risks. One is operational things, for example, um, let me give you an example in in the in the uh, construction industry. So there's a supplier of chemical additives in the construction industry, where uh, the supplier is uh, is selling additives that account for less than two to three percent of the value of a mix of a concrete mix, which goes you know, which is poured in at a construction site, and they're selling this low you know this low priority item it, it's it's it, it accounts for two to three percent of the overall value of the concrete mix but what it does is it makes the concrete much more uh, much more weather resistant it makes it much more much less brittle and so it, it has certain properties that are important for the concrete to have uh, buyers site managers sometimes overlook buying it or ordering it and as a result uh the end outcome can be that the construction project stalls because this additive which accounts for 2 to 3% of the overall mix is missing or they've run out or so what, what, you know s- suppliers are bidding they're trying to they're trying to undercut each other by a few cents per uh, you know per per barrel but what it ends up happening is that one supplier suddenly recognizes that the real risk to the customer here is that the project will stall. And what if we were to go up to them and say, look, we will guarantee that the project will not stall. We will install silos at each construction site. We will monitor the level of each silo. We will replenish the silos uh, according to a schedule. We'll, we'll, We'll make sure that you never run out. And that's the guarantee of the contract that you're going to sign with us. Now, suddenly, if a competitor comes along and offers a few cents off they're not going to be you know they're not going to sway the buyer the buyer is convinced by a reduction of risk so those are operational types of things that you can do to reduce the customer's risk but there's a whole you know a whole gamut of things that you can do which are information based to reduce the customer's risk and and here you know one example is uh, that uh you you can you can offer the customer uh, things that are, you know, let, let me give you an example. Right in the depths of the recession uh, in January 2009 All of the car companies were cutting prices. They were cutting, you know, they were offering all sorts of deals and they wanted to move product that was on their lots and they just wanted to keep the factories running, even if at 60% capacity, but they just wanted to keep moving the product. So they were, but buyers were just not buying. You know, demand had dropped through the floor. So a number of companies, you know, almost all companies, cut prices, offered deals, tried to move product, provided incentives, did all sorts of things. But one company did something different. They asked the question, why are customers not buying? And the answer was, customers are not buying because they fear losing their job. Because if they take on a lease or or a contract, a financing contract, and they can't repay, it'll hurt their credit rating. So, there were risks associated with buying. This was Hyundai. Hyundai didn't cut it, uh, you know, the price of its product. Instead, what they offered was the Hyundai Insurance Guarantee, which is you can buy the product, you sign the contract. If you lose your job during the contract, we will take the car back. The financing contract will come to an end. There's, been no, you know, there's, no, there's no risk associated with buying. The result was that during the depths of the recession, Hyundai's sales went up 36%. Everybody else's sales dropped. This was, it was startling. Hyundai, that, that quarter, Hyundai sold more cars than Chrysler did, even though Chrysler has four times as many dealerships. That, that, was, that was a startling result of risk reduction because they asked the right question and designed a service, designed a risk reduction mechanism that they could offer.
0: It's an amazing story, and the book is outstanding. Where do I point people to find out more about you and your work?
1: StrategyTilt.com is the website. And how about the uh, Twitter handle? Twitter handle is at Neeraj Dawar. That's at N I R A J D A W A R.
0: I had you for a half hour today, and I appreciate your time. Can we follow up with you in a, a little while and hear? Uh, some other stories that you've come up with it's brilliant work and I want to recommend everybody immediately read it I think, and I said this to you and I'm not uh, just saying this because I'm looking at you face to face over Skype I do think it's the most important book of 2013 and I think it's the game changer for people who are really concerned about commoditization, differentiation creating value for their customers this is the blueprint to make that happen and I think it's uh, a wonderful work
1: it's a pleasure to connect, Anthony, and thank you so much for your interest in the work.
0: You were listening to Naraj Dewar. This is Anthony Anarino with thesalesblog.com. You can find more about Naraj at strategytilt.com. You can also find the book at strategytilt.com and you will find a link there for Tilt the Book. Do go out and buy it and read it immediately. When you go out to thesalesblog.com, do sign up for the newsletter, and I'll see you back here next week in the arena.